Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Tomorrow Will Be Great. We hope today is great, too. Yes. Um, I am Elise. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about advertising, slash getting your word out there, slash influencers in this world today. It's really amazing how in five years, everything has changed in terms of how we are advertised to and how we're marketed to. The time that I first started my business and when I moved to Philadelphia and opened the store three years ago, even three years ago, everything has changed so much. Yeah, it's been changing really fast and I think that's not the usual, I would assume. I, yeah. I haven't been around that long, but... Um, yeah, cause things going from, well, the advent of the influencer has definitely been a huge part of, um, advertising in this world, especially in the world of women's clothing and such, which is the world that we are in. Sorry if anyone just heard a bell ring. That's my dog yeah. saying she wants to go outside. Anyways, <laughs> we wanted to talk to you about those things and also just talk about traditionally how advertising has been done in the past. It used to be that the only way you as a new business or a small business or any business could get your word out there was going through a traditional way of advertising, which would be putting an ad in a newspaper, a magazine, a paid editorial. Those are kind of the traditional ways you could do that. And a lot of the times those things were very expensive. I remember being told once a one full page in, I don't know, I was even looking into smaller magazines, not even big publications, but they can be tens of thousands of dollars for one page. And that's for one issue that's on the shelf for one month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a big gamble, especially for a small business when that's probably more money than you've invested in a lot of other things. And so that's taking a big risk, which might seem like a really hard thing to then figure out how influential it was on your business. Yeah. There was no way of measuring it. I mean, there still isn't for any paper referral. I guess I'll call it a paper referral. Yeah. Unless you ask people, Oh, how'd you find out about this? They, you won't know. You might assume, Oh, look, my sales are up this month. It's probably from that. And that might be true. But unless you go and you ask everyone, you have no way of knowing that directly. So that makes it kind of a gamble, especially if you don't have a very large advertising budget or any advertising budget at all. So in a way it's really great how the internet has evolved that gives small businesses a way to reach customers more now than it used to. It used to just be you had a website blogging or whatever, and you could have a sidebar ad on a blogger. I don't even know if I see those that much these days anymore, but that was like a way to have an ad was there was a person, they'd had a really good blog people like to read. And then you'd pay, I don't know, $150 a month Mm -hmm. for how many pixels by how many pixels? Like Like 50 by 200 pixels. And you have a tiny ad that says your name on it. Yeah. Oh, I and, forgot about those. Yeah, I did too. And then sometimes when you were a sponsor, oh, I think they called you sponsor then. Oh yeah. Um, and like then a blog sponsor. if you were sponsoring someone's blog, then maybe they'd also do a post about you. But that was more clear cut because yeah. you were paying for that, and it was clear that that's their ad. Yeah, on the right on the hand side. side or left hand side, wherever they put their ad bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we've all switched over to Instagram, everything is on this influencer model now, which is kind of vague, vague, (laughs) vague is the best way to put it. Well, actually I'll step, step back for a second and say in relation to Google analytics, even back then when you were doing a sponsored 
sidebar for a blog, you would know each time you got a website referral. You could see it on Google Analytics, or maybe you had another way you could view it. But you would know if there was a good bang for your buck, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And now it's all, for the most part, going through Instagram. Like, I used to look at Google Analytics every day. I look at it maybe once a year now because... I'm not getting website traffic from other websites. It's more I'm getting like social media referrals mm-hmm. like Pinterest and Instagram. Um, so influencers, let's talk about influencers. Yes, it's um, what happened to all my favorite bloggers. <laughs> they all turn into influencers. That's the name of the chapter. Is yeah. what happened to all my favorite <laughs> bloggers. I would say it's an appropriately termed phrase. It's a bit sad. I would say. Um, I don't like to think of myself as being influenced, but clearly everyone's influenced in everything they do. So you like to think you can't come up with your own ideas a lot of the time and you have your own sense of whatever it is, what you like to read, what you like to buy. Or at least maybe it's that I don't like to feel as as though I've been so overtly influenced being like someone being like, wow, look at this mug I have. It's so great. And then maybe like, wow, I should get that mug." mug too. Yeah. And so I think that... I tend to push back against that, but people like my mom will click on said sidebar ad on Facebook and maybe buy it. <laughs> and maybe buy the thing. And I like, you know, my cousin does that too. And I try really hard to specifically avoid ads or things that are like that. But I will say that I do think that there's some good elements of influencers because some of them will help boost small brands in addition to their big brands. So there is a way that I have found that I can find new interesting people and products to look at. But being overtly influenced always feels a little bad to me, I I guess. Me too. And I think a lot of people feel that way, but we've kind of fallen into this rut where that's become the standard and no one really knows how to break out of it. Because I think when it comes down to it, no one likes to know they're being advertised at. And I think that's for why a while the influencer marketing worked really well. Mm -hmm. Like I can think of multiple brands who grew very quickly because of that model, but in the beginning it didn't feel as much like advertising. And I'll let Elise talk about something we were just talking about, which is UK influencer laws that were passed. Yeah. So recently. Yeah. So it looks like in January, because I remember I followed some influencers from the UK and all of a sudden their posts started to be hashtagged and tagged and commented with a lot more intense, um, I guess like hashtags and things saying, this is an ad, this has been a partnered post, this has been a whatever. And it was really interesting because that was a big jump for them. And they're all like, just so you know, this is the new laws. So now they have to be very, very explicit in what is an advertisement and what is not. Well, I guess not, they don't have to tell you what's not an advertisement, but they have to tell you that this is a sponsored post or this is an affiliated link. And if you don't know what an affiliated link is, it's when you click on it. And if you purchase the product, they get a small kickback from you purchasing that product. And so now in the UK, you have to be told that this is an affiliated link and that they're going to earn profit from it or that they have been given this thing for free or that they're getting paid to tell you about this. And so it's just been very interesting to see the difference between these UK influencers and the American influencers who will just put, throw a little hashtag ad at the end of something versus the UK influencers who now have to be incredibly explicit and obvious that this is something that they are earning money for and that they might profit off of you. 
And I think that that's really helpful. I mean, maybe it takes a little bit of the kind of magic. magic. Yeah. yeah. Like this like magical aura of look at this person with this amazing life and this amazing wardrobe. It seems and so the Chanel bag yeah. and the fitting in front of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that's so amazing. I want to be that person. But then you realize that this is their job, which I don't think is a bad thing because I mean, it's a job. They get paid. That's good for them. And I'm, it's like a self-made job, which yeah. I'm all for everyone always making their own yeah. job in life rather than relying on, on something on yeah. like a big company. And so I think that it is commendable that these people have been able to do this because, I mean, I personally have like a whopping 300 followers on Instagram, but I'm, again, I'm not trying to be an influencer, but, um, it is pretty impressive because some of these people have so many followers and so many dedicated fans and people who like to see what they do and i do think some of them are very creative and very original not necessarily all of them um because some of them kind of all have the same filter they all take the picture with their beautiful cartier watch and their and their cappuccino and their croissant and their book and that's fine i want that life but you know it's kind of something that you've seen a million times and so i think there's then the difference between i guess your basic influencer and then you're kind of elevated influencer and i feel like we definitely like some people who i get are i get yeah it's interesting to call them an elevated influencer because i do there are some people i follow for a long time and i feel like they are putting out very high quality work and i would say it's art yeah and i think that's great and i love when i see people do that that's what a real definition for me segueing to something that elise was saying was for the hashtags you have to mm-hmm. use for the uk consumer laws like it has to be explicit about that it is an ad that it's clear the relationship is clear that it's a promo saying hashtag collab yeah I feel like it's interesting to think about the definition of what collaboration is and how that's changed yeah. over the years. It used to be if two people, two groups were going to collaborate, they were both going to be part of the design process mm-hmm. or responsible for the design process in some regard. It wasn't just, I'm going to send you free yeah. stuff and then you're going to take your an iPhone picture of it just somewhere. Yeah. That doesn't, that's more like, I mean, there are people who are real photographers and they put yeah. a lot of work in their photography and I used to think being a photographer was easy, but it's not. And people that are real photographers, I think are awesome. But if you're just going to take an iPhone photo and not put much effort into it, I don't see how that's a collaboration. It's more like a promotion. It's like you're a promoter versus I would say what I would think is a collaborator. And I understand that people are like, oh, well, I want them to have full creative range with my purse or whatever. And I totally get that. It's just, it does seem a little bit disingenuous, I guess, to me versus like especially calling it a collaboration because i feel as though if a brand wants to do a collaboration with an influencer it would be more a communal design process or conceptualizing a shoot or something something where both people are presently active in something whatever that end goal is yeah and not necessarily just receiving a beautiful piece in the mail and then shooting a picture of it which sounds like an amazing job gonna be honest yeah like (laughs) getting beautiful things sent to you and taking beautiful pictures sounds awesome it does and people get paid a lot of money for it now these days like thousands of dollars for posts so it's easy to think oh i can easily make a living off of this once i get rolling yeah but then i mean people are also really nasty to influencers which that's why i don't like to spend time in people's comment sections yeah just just don't read the comment section ever just walk away and don't be mean (laughs) people need to stop being mean everyone whoever they are just stop being mean yeah And so that's another thing that I guess is that people, it's easy to make fun of influencers because they have kind of an easy to make fun of job. 
um, which sounds fun, but it's easy to make fun of. And so people do make fun of it, and that's not nice. I mean, I think everyone's job is worthwhile. They're just the new, the new era of... I mean, I guess, are they even relatable to anything that's happened in the past? Like, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of, like, back in the day of theater or something, and there was, like, a couture designer, and someone appeared. Or, like, I don't know, royalty-wearing clothing, and they're like, oh, so-and-so in the press is wearing blah, blah, blah. But I don't think it's ever been so... There's so much democracy involved in the process. I think it's always been pre-selected. There was never a chance in the world that you would get that opportunity now. It's like you make your own fate, in a way. Which is... Really neat. It's awesome. I think yeah. it's great. It's just getting confusing, I think, because yeah. people are not sure when people are being paid to say things mm-hmm. or getting kickbacks. Like, even if they're just loaned things, the relationship isn't always clear. And I think in the US, I don't see people disclosing as often. Also, in stories, I think mm-hmm. since it's such a fleeting period of 24 yeah. hours, people are less inclined to be obvious about what they're doing, like if yeah. they bought it themselves or. And also I think it adds to what we were talking about last time about success is that not that owning a Chanel blazer or whatever makes you successful, but if you're only borrowing it, you might be projecting this false sense of, I don't know, what's it called? I guess success. Like you're successful. You're wearing like a Chanel suit and Chanel shoes and maybe they're not yours, but it might make people feel bad. And yeah, it's not your job to make people not feel bad, but it's kind of, I don't know, maybe don't help with the whole everything's perfect yeah when everything's maybe not perfect this is a good point to interject and talk a little bit about the idea of just borrowing clothes from a store and only having the intention of using them for an instagram post and so you might leave the tag on it's hanging really easily in the back of the garment or you can take it off if it has a safety pin and it doesn't have one of those high-tech tags that you know you have to remove or ink will squirt out yeah or show that the store that you've used it um, and it's prominently in the front of the shirt or whatever, we usually have them in the back of the garment. So we have to be really careful and we've gotten stricter with our return policy because we're aware that this is a thing now and people are trying to borrow clothes as if it's a rental service, which makes it complicated because we're trying to get our clothes to their home, their end home, their forever home. Yeah. So it's just kind of an odd point to think about how it seems totally harmless, but in reality, it just keeps that piece of clothing off the floor from us and stops us from being able to sell it to where it might end up forever. While it does seem harmless, it's really not very helpful or beneficial to any store to have this happen to them. No, it's not. And I think it's all about, again, elevating your lifestyle to make it look like you live a certain lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but then you're just returning it at the end of the day. Yeah, and so that's, I guess, why people... If you want to do that kind of thing, you should collaborate with the store, with the brand versus kind of just going behind everyone's back and doing it. On that note, I'd like to jump in and this is not a hashtag ad. This is my own personal (laughs) opinion. Um, The book Status Anxiety is excellent. It doesn't, it was written before influencers even exist, but it is about perceived success and envy in relation to other success like what elise was just saying about like what is that chanel blazer another book i would recommend which is so wordy it's from the late 18th century it's called the theory of the leisure class (laughs) where they talk about conspicuous consumption Mm. also a fascinating topic just about the idea of consuming for the sake 
of consuming. Mm-hmm. I think now there's also conspicuous leisure in the travel yeah. industry where you will go somewhere to show that you have been there, not because you actually want yeah. to go there. And you go there just to take the photo. And maybe you're not really experiencing the place. Yeah. Because whenever I have my phone in front of me when I'm out in the world, I don't feel like I'm enjoying whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. I hope that people can enjoy what they're doing and not just worry about... Getting what, the gram. Getting, getting it for the gram. Yeah. The question for us as a store, since that's the perspective mm-hmm. we're coming from, is how does the influencer model make any sense as an advertising tool for us? And yeah. I think, unfortunately, it just doesn't. If we were working on our own brand, I could see yeah. that it would work more. But when you're a store that has ordering, I don't know, maybe eight SKUs from one designer per season and you have four of or five of each SKU, you're not going to send out one of those in the hopes that an influencer will help you sell that SKU. Because usually people will fixate, I find, on one, one piece. One piece. They're mm-hmm. not going to be interested in looking at your store as an entirety. They're just going to want to find the dress that had the picture posted of it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I guess as you can, as people can see that it seems a lot more like brands, especially direct to consumer brands, send out lots of quote gifts. They have a big portion of their, um, budget and planning that's gifting, um, which means basically just sending free merchandise to their followers, influencers, supporters, supporting influencers, like people of in the community that they think they're trying to be a part of. Um, and that can be also kind of gray because there's some brands that will send out all this gifting prior to a, um, launch date for their product going live. And then they'll post all these pictures of all these influencers in their clothes and all the influencers will post. And it's kind of, you know, is it muddy? Is it like, do they just get a free top or are they getting paid or are they just borrowing this top to help push this? launch and make it successful yeah that's the other thing you said about the uk influencer laws they even need to disclose if something's just been loaned yeah they have to tell you everything which i think is pretty neat i mean it's a little less sexy to have like a picture (laughs) that looks all beautiful and then to have like this shirt has been borrowed this jacket has been given to me and all that extra stuff but it's definitely helpful because Again, it's, I guess it's the muddy thing that it's nice to be able to see pieces on lots of different people. And so that's, I guess, the benefit of this, like, quote-unquote gifting is that you can see how different people style it, who might not be how you would style it. How it fits on different Yeah, different body people, types. body types. Yeah. But, again, it's kind of, again, it's muddy, you know? Because you don't really know what's what. What's, yeah. When, yeah. I think it will be really hard to regulate something yeah. like this. I think you could make a broad sweeping law, but how do you regulate things you that are them. so quick moving? Everything moves so quick now. Yeah, like, I guess how then do you define what an influencer is? Like how, because if you're small potatoes, the UK government's not going to go after you for not saying that this is an affiliated link, I would assume. I don't know much about the UK's government and or politics, but um, it's kind of when do you come to that point where you're quote-unquote influence matters enough for people to pay attention who aren't just your followers and yeah it's it's i feel like there's just a lot of muddy 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 terror it'll probably yeah. keep being until the bubble i feel like the bubble's gonna burst yeah at some point. and that's what we were trying to talk about and we were honestly having trouble figuring out like what's the next thing gonna 
be, so the question we were asking ourselves is how can you get the name out about your brand, your story, your business these days without using an influencer? And it's really tricky. It's like asking someone who lives in a two-dimensional space, can they imagine a three-dimensional space? And asking someone who lives in our world, can we imagine what 4D is? Like, it's like, it's always hard to imagine what the next really changing business tool will be. But one thing I was thinking about that was really helpful to us in the beginning, right when we opened, was the timing just happened to be right, but we opened at the same time that this really cool hotel opened next door to us, a tiny Mm -hmm. little boutique hotel, and also a few other businesses moved in on our block, and we were all literally opening on the same weekend in April three years ago, and we were all posting about it, we were all tagging each other, we were all really excited, and that just in and of itself over that weekend, I think we all gained a couple thousand followers and got new people interested in our business. And I, I guess I would call that crowd influencing because everyone's really benefiting from it. I don't mm-hmm. think that anyone's really being paid for it, but yeah. it's I love pollination. It's like a cross pollination yeah. by little bees. Yeah. Little influencer bees. And granted, that's kind of a specific instance, but I think if you can think of different ways to have businesses grouped together and just by default, through goodwill tag Mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to do it. Another thing I was thinking about was just thoroughly working on whatever your brand identity is Mm -hmm. and solidifying it more, learning to take pictures. If you open your business, open it in a strong arts community or what, if you're not like in the arts, don't do an arts community. (laughs) Like if you are like, I need to be in the tech field. So maybe your business needs to be in a city where there's a lot of tech, like do things where other like-minded people are there. Um, but honestly, I was also really stumped trying to think about what might be next. Back to blogging. Back to blogging. I mean, I keep hearing other people say, oh, I miss blogging. I want to go back to blogging. But I think, and this is going to sound really pessimistic, but I think people are too lazy to blog. Yeah. Or to read a blog. Or to read. People are having a really hard time reading these days. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I feel like longer Instagram captions don't always get Mm -hmm. read. I think reading for some reason is challenging. It sounds so negative to say that. Yeah. Well, I also think it's because... Just like thinking back to when I read blogs the most was when I was in high school and Instagram wasn't as prevalent and I didn't follow as many people. So there wasn't as much to do on Instagram. There were no stories. Mm-hmm. And I think stories also have become a massive time suck, time suck totally. in, um, you know, the endless scroll of Instagram. And so, you know, like when I was done my homework and whatever, I would just like read these blogs and I would have time because, you know, it's like only one person can watch whatever they want to watch on TV. So what will I do other than sit down at a computer and read a blog? And I think that, you know, also with Netflix, I feel like a lot of things have just come up that make being lazy easier. Yeah. It's really easy to be lazy these days. Yeah. It's really sad because I definitely am a victim of the being lazy thing. I mean, I, I guess as you get older, you want to stay home more and like I not do anything. Stay home. <laughs> I, I feel like I used to engage more and I'm really sad about that about myself, but I think it's a product of the time we're mm-hmm. living in where everything is on this handheld device. My greatest nightmare is like in Wally where everyone is oh. in those chairs yeah. driving around. Those little wobbles. Every, yeah. yeah, these little wobbles and we're just we, we we can't look away from our screen yeah. and our chairs float around the room and we're in this giant cruise ship in space. Yeah. I mean, also I think that all this 
tech and stuff makes being an introvert easier. Mm -hmm. And I am pretty much an introvert. And so it's, you know, it's easier to just sit in my apartment and, you know, scroll through Instagram or watch whatever just came up on Netflix. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I feel like it's actually probably a bad thing because it makes it easier just to keep to yourself. Um, when you're on a dangerous society. But you listen to a lot yeah. of podcasts. I listen to so many podcasts. She's a podcast okay. binger. So I think yeah. there's something more interactive about podcasts because it's engaging your mind rather mm-hmm. than watching a story which feels more like reality TV. That's true. And That's true. The other thing, let's see. I feel like audiobooks are more engaging. Mm-hmm. Podcasts are more engaging. Jesse would argue that video games are more engaging than watching TV. No, I mean, they because are. you're at they least you you're think. doing a thing rather yeah. than just kind of being a zombie. Which yeah. I need zombie time daily. If yeah. I don't, I might collapse. So, yeah. I mean, it's all it's all interesting. Also, I think that there's now this acceptance of binge cult, like bin, binge binge cult. Things. Yeah, binging, and so. That also kind of, and I feel like I on it. I feel like Netflix has kind of backed off on the whole like, are you still watching thing? I, at least I haven't gotten that in a while, and I definitely feel as though I should have, um, which I think makes it easier just to keep watching and watching keep and watching and keep then, having ads come yeah. at you. And I guess back to the ads for a second. In the New York Times, maybe three months ago, and since then I've watched a few of his talks. They all pretty much say the same thing. This guy was interviewed for a series of little video clips. I think his name was Jaron Lanier. And he was just talking about data privacy, advertising, and just how we've... I remember the graphics for this movie they little made. They had a little tube stuck in the back of someone's Ooh. neck to represent the data. And the data that was coming out was a blue liquid. It was very X-Files. Like, <laughs> and it was like the data is just being sucked and milked yeah. out of you without you realizing it. Even all the clicks, everything you click on mm-hmm. on your phone, whether it's an influencer's ad, it listens to you. Literally yesterday yeah. I was saying command hooks. Just yeah. At least was talking about command hooks to hang up holiday lights. Yes. And then this morning... My ad on Instagram was for command hooks, a word I've never said before. Yeah. So it's just all this data he was saying in this interview, it's all just being taken out of you all the time. And he's trying to think of creative ways which we can get past this big brother data advertising. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also, I feel like in that regard, I guess I don't really care if people know what I'm Googling. Hmm. Um... And I don't know, maybe it's because I don't Google anything that I would perceive as bad. I mean, it's mostly like, how many centimeters is in an inch or whatever? <laughs> how many yen yeah, equals a dollar? Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the case. And also, again, I try and actively not buy whatever I get advertised for. But let's say it knew you wanted yeah, this, this mug, mug you're holding, and yeah, then you saw an ad for me. it. How would you feel that your phone listened to you? It feels creepy, but I don't think I'm any more inclined to buy it. I think I'm less inclined. Because like when you yeah. go and look at shoes on Zappos. I feel like it Zappos is one you. of the biggest things. Is Or um, these big department stores like Nordstrom. Log Arson yeah. follows me. Except I have Adblock. I highly recommend Adblock Plus to everybody. I don't have Adblock. <laughs> but I think it's a big turnoff to me when I see things following me. And I know it's supposed to subconsciously make me be like, oh, do I need those shoes? Like, oh, I was thinking about those shoes. It's in my shopping yeah. cart. But maybe it's because I kind of 
fun fact, when I listen to podcasts, I just bop around the internet online shopping for things I'm never going to buy. <laughs> so most of these ads are just very big waste of these people's money because I'm not going to buy those $900 Gucci sneakers. I just was curious what they were like about. And so maybe that's just because I'm young and I don't know I should be scared of it yet. Um, and I'm not really doing anything... I don't know, bad Weird on the internet. Yeah. And so I guess things like, you know, how people talk about when you look for flights or whatever, it tracks you and then will give Mm -hmm. you different prices or like on Amazon or... Yeah, like it'll, if you're logged into your account, it might give you a different price versus your account. Yeah. So that's a bit annoying. I I will give it that. But I guess I don't really care if they know that I'm like, what I'm Googling. And maybe there's more to it than just what I'm Googling and I should be more scared. But... I don't know. Hmm. I think it's, I, it might just be because I'm young and that's kind of been a part of... Like you grew up with yeah, it. Whereas I, I mean, didn't. Yeah. Because I got... Newsflash, first, just yeah. for reference, I'm 33. Oh yeah, and I'm 23. So we have a 10 year gap here. Yeah. And so I... Like my experience with the internet was basically in middle school we got a laptop and... But we didn't have... Wi-Fi, so we had one Ethernet cable, and me and my older uh, sister. Ethernet cable. Oh yeah, me and my older sister had to share the Ethernet cable, and so we both couldn't be on the internet at the same time. I think it's also so my parents would be like, we could get our attention, and so that was kind of my middle school experience, and then high school we got Wi-Fi, and then you know blog reading and stuff, and then I guess in like high school and middle or in yeah. college, this whole influencer slash people stealing your privacy was kind of more of a topic. I know. I'm trying to think, why am I a bit carmudgeon about data privacy and just information? I think it's because it's, like, not disclosed. It's not disclosed well that it's happening. It's all hidden behind. No one's telling you it's happening. And it's not like I'm up to no good either. Maybe I've just watched too many TV shows or something. I know. I feel like I watch lots of scary things too, but I'm not scared about that. I, I don't know. And also I, I just, I guess I'm just scared of the future in like the 1984 sense where what will it turn into? Well, that's another thing is I hate post-apocalyptic dystopians. dystopians and so i avoid them at all costs and whether Julia loves them i binge on them yeah it is my lifeblood <laughs> so maybe that's the other thing is that i avoid that kind of concept like reading 1984 was probably one of the absolute worst times in high school for me um and so i really try and avoid that kind of thing and so maybe that's part of it is that i try not to think about that and you do and that's why you're more concerned about it yeah it's more that i've just seen a large change in how this works and i feel like advertising used to be so separate from anything Mm -hmm. i'd interact with it would just be here is the billboard here is times square which is one big advertisement and it was very out of my life for the most part but now Mm -hmm. i'm just seeing ads daily and yeah when I think of my life, my life is made up of time and time mm-hmm. is the most valuable thing I have. And it yeah. feels like ads are taking time away from me mm-hmm. so that they can sell me something I might not need. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know, I guess I'll just say when we market our products on our website, are mm-hmm. we advertising on behalf of ourselves? I don't know if I'd call what we do as an advertisement, but is it, if we're self-advertising, is it an advertisement? I mean, I guess... I guess it then brings up the whole conversation of online stores because would you say that about having merchandising your racks in the store here? Yeah, I don't know. So it doesn't seem like it would be an advertisement, but then maybe the front window display is. Is an advertisement. Yeah, because in big 
big companies, that's a whole job. I know. Like, I, there are multiple people to do that job. To do that. The physical merchandising of places. But what I've heard about about Philadelphia is that these big stores will move in. I think we talked about this maybe an episode or two ago. They'll move in on the more downtown area, and they don't necessarily count on sales mm-hmm. in the store, but they're using it as a billboard yeah. for their brand. And which is prestige. Yeah. Stores might turn into that in the future. It's just a billboard for an online yeah. store, for warehouses, for storage. We're just going to spend a lot of time packing and shipping in the future. Yeah. I feel like we already do that. I know. Hmm. Hmm. That is interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like when you go to New York and you see stores on Fifth Avenue. And I can't fathom that these stores can possibly make a profit because you know their rent must be insane. Insane. And so then it's kind of, do they just take the whole store as a write-off and they're kind of just associating it as advertisement and having the prestige of being able to have a Fifth Avenue store? Yeah. And I think I've learned a lot in the past six months about financing and investors and different things. And I'm just learning things I never thought would be relevant to running a business and things that can get written off. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard from people, and this is true, that if you... Let's say you, quote, unquote, can't rent a vacant retail space. It's just a tax write-off. Yeah. And I'm like, that's awful. Yeah. They should be taxed for not having a tax. Yeah, because it's a lack of incentive. Yeah. I mean, obviously, people want rent, but it's not the end of the world if they have enough money and then they don't have a tenant. Yeah. I guess we're getting a little off topic yeah. here. I went on a little... A little bit a little of a wine... Jig. A little A little bit yeah. of a jig. Um, but, I mean, it's all interconnected... Because I yeah. do think that influencing is having an impact on... On everything. On everything. It's, it, it's yeah. like a trickle-down effect onto everything. And I think that's why we brought up so many of these other topics, is I can see it just kind of at the top of a fountain coming yeah. down to the second tier and the third tier. I feel like even influencers and bloggers used to do more meetups. I feel like people don't do that anymore. Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't right. know if I it's a people... safety concern. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think people... But... in the. You're right. Actually, that's a really yeah. good point. I used to be pen pals with quite a few people, and I ended up meeting about five or six of them, yeah. and a couple of them I'm still in touch with on and off, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy talking to them, and they're awesome yeah. people. Yeah, it's like from like small meetups to big meetups to like brand collaboration meetups, like, oh, I'm collaborating with... This bag designer come see us at the shop from mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I feel like you don't really see that so much anymore. And I don't know if maybe people were analyzing how that worked in their sales and it just wasn't yeah. as beneficial as an Instagram post. In my opinion, events are never as profitable as they are for my time. That's no. why we don't really do any events. And also, it didn't make sense as much to me to have a store be going to an event. Like, when you have a tent at a holiday market yeah. or whatever i feel like it doesn't make sense to bring your whole store inventory and i'm like but i have a store yeah and it's all very complicated and i'm sure people are going to start if they haven't already writing writing lots of books on, on all of this oh yeah changed. there's a lot to say and it's hard to talk about it if you're in this field whatever side of this yeah. field you're on without worrying like you're going to offend somebody mm-hmm. because all of this is part of someone's job. We're just on the store yeah. end. Yeah, which sees us as one way. Yeah. Um, I just, I wish we could find a way that advertising was easier for us to do. I don't know, maybe other stores would have something interesting to say. I'm trying to think if I have seen other stores use influencers. Maybe in the beginning, but if only if they have like an in-house line they're also yeah. making. 
And mostly ones that they had relationships with before. Yeah. Where they'd patronize the business or whatever. I also think that influencers make... Sometimes I feel like it makes... They might have been a customer and then they Mm -hmm. expect free things all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, I also... Well, I guess for stores, you can say that big stores like Nordstrom and Mm -hmm. Bloomingdale's and whatever, they do work with influencers. Mm -hmm. But again, that's... I think that they have this massive scale for a marketing budget where most small businesses have hardly any, if any, marketing budget. And so I guess it does make more sense for them to write off these products that they aren't creating, but they're purchasing and sending out um, than us, where if you send out a free unit of this item, it costs a lot more percentage-wise to this business than to their business. Um, But, yeah, it's so interesting. If anyone has any ideas how to advertise for small stores. Let us know. Yeah. I know. It's all about thinking creatively and thinking about yeah. how to do it. And where where putting the money matters. If it's trying to draw more um, physical store traffic or is it trying to draw more web traffic. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll feel like I'm putting the same amount of effort in to run our store and get the word out there about whatever we just got in, whether it's a shoe or a dress... And I'll see the same amount of that an influencer will put out there. And I don't know if they're getting paid for that. Is that the same amount that I'm getting paid when I sell the three dresses that I have of that one SKU? They're probably probably making making more, more. which is like, where does my store fit in in the world then? And that's what I've been asking myself a lot lately. Not to sound negative, but... I think it's the whole, like, you know, direct-to-consumer is a massive trend. Direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. is when the store skips the middleman, also known as the store, the store. and goes straight from the manufacturer to the consumer. Um, I mean, because there's definitely been a huge jump in businesses, especially in the women's clothing industry, I think, of oh, yeah. either really small brands or big brands who now just, you know, do their own thing and ignore the store, which is fine. I know, it used to be, like, that your greatest thing you'd be excited about was, oh, I got my brand into this store. And I remember being excited about that with a few stores I worked with. Like, that was the most exciting thing. But now it seems like, oh, the so-and-so influencer has my thing. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's super interesting because there was some prestige to being in specific stores. And now it seems kind of more of an optional thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. There used to be prestige. I'm just not sure the prestige will be there. There still is a little bit, but... Yeah, I don't know if it's going to keep going down. I don't know. We don't mean to sound negative. <laughs> we really don't. We're, we're positive. We're positive. We're positive. Tomorrow will be great. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. It's all very interesting. I'm sure they're teaching college courses about this now. I know. It's interesting to think about the college courses that exist yeah. now that didn't exist when we were in college. They're having to teach everything all over again because how you're going to make salaries getting out of creative jobs is so yeah. different now. Yeah, I mean, I took a horrible, worst class I ever took in college, advertising class, over the summer, and nothing that we learned was remotely applicable to anything current. So, gotta update them textbooks. Gosh, that was terrible. But I did learn the term direct to consumer, which (laughs) I already knew because yeah, that's all that's happening now. Yeah. So things to think about, like, what would it look like if there were influencer laws in the U.S.? What would look that look like for us other things to think about how can stores get their name out more in this 
world we live in and what will be the next platform. So much to think about. Well, I hope we got your brain churning a little bit and that you learned some things about advertising for a small store or for another business. And if you have any thoughts of other things we could talk about with this conversation, just let us know. I'm not really sure where to tell you to leave a comment. Somewhere? Somewhere. Somewhere. You can email us. You can email us. At info at (laughs) ren.us. Not .com. Not .com. No. Someone's spotting on .com. But I don't think that email goes anywhere. No, I don't. I think that email will come back to you. Yeah. And make you sad. So I'm adding a little bit in. Elise and I already finished recording the podcast you're listening to right now, but I got home and I was having Jesse, my husband, look over everything and listen to it. And he had a lot of great thoughts and ideas of things that I really wish we had added in about this, most of which had to do with older examples of what an influencer used to be, things that we hadn't thought of that existed in advertising or marketing. And he brought up a couple of really good points. And I thought, you know what? As an addendum to this podcast, I'm just going to add this on. And I'll just let him talk about that for a few seconds. And he's really shy. He didn't want to do this. But I didn't want to just take his idea and act like I had had this great idea. So here's Jesse. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just one thing that immediately jumped to mind for me, thinking about the whole influencer topic and how new it seems was the idea of things like Tupperware parties or other things in the 50s, 60s, um, 70s, where you'd bring people into your home and say, oh, you're, you're my friend, you, know, you respect my opinion, and I'm selling something to you, so you should buy this thing from me. Um, and it really felt very similar to me to the idea of an influencer today, where you're saying, oh, you have a personal relationship, I have a connection to you, and I'm also marketing at you. And it it seems to touch on the same kind of social aspect. There's an intimacy there of having people involved in your personal life in some sense, even though it's virtual now and not physically in your house anymore, it still seems related there. And other companies uh, like Tupperware that fall in that same kind of multi-level marketing umbrella where you're direct selling to your friends and neighbors um, feels pretty close to me, even if not in the pyramid scheme sense. It feels close in the terms of the how people are marketing at one another sense. And you also said Mary Kay was another one we could think of. Also falls into that category of kind of distributed marketing, multi-level marketing pyramid scheme company. Again, not the pyramid scheme aspect as much for influencers, but just the idea that you're handing a marketing job out to people who are then going on to reach people more directly and trying to market to their their friends, their family, their neighbors, everybody, and try to leverage their their personal connection to get that marketing done. And that's exactly what influencers do now. I never would have thought of connecting Tupperware parties, but I remember... I think my mom took me to a couple and I was like, what is this? This is the most stupid, boring thing I've ever been to. I think we only went a couple times, but yeah, Jesse said he never went to any Tupperware no, parties. I don't even know where I heard of this, but it, it sounded like something uh, familiar in my mind. Yeah. So this is just a side fact. I'll just read a little bit from the Wikipedia article about the history of Tupperware parties. So first, Tupperware is still sold mainly through a party plan w- with rewards for hosts and hostesses. A Tupperware party is run by a Tupperware consultant for a host or hostess who invites friends and neighbors into his or her home to see the product line. Tupperware hosts and hostesses are rewarded with free pot- products 
based on the level of sales made at their party. Parties are also to take place in workplaces, schools, and other community groups. In order for the company to stay in touch with its sales force, early on, Tupperware published the monthly magazine Tupperware Sparks. The magazine was full of snapshots of sales of saleswomen across the country posing with awards and recognitions for their high sales. In order to avoid spending money on advertising, Tupperware created events that attracted free publicity. So to me, right away, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds just like an influencer, especially where photographing the women with their Tupperware comes in. And there's this funny little picture above that with women all around this table with Tupperware stacked in beautiful little stacks, and they're all ogling over the Tupperware. It's an old little picture from the 1950s. But anyway, just a fun side note, because I hadn't really thought, I don't know, I don't think I'd heard of multi-level marketing, or if I had, I didn't know what it was. Any last thoughts, Jess? No, that's it. Just that this doesn't sound like as new an idea, I think, as it might seem. A lot of these things just tend to cycle round and round. Thanks so much for listening to our little addendum there. We hope you join us next time for another episode of Tomorrow Will Be Great. And thanks, Jess, for stepping in in the end there to give us that information.